This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly teaming up with three for Mental Health Awareness Week this year. Beyond the pitch, beyond the results, we're here to connect fans, getting them to embrace the highs and lows of supporting your club because we're not just fans, we're a team. With two in three football fans having struggled with their mental health, we understand that life off the pitch can present its own challenges. That's why we're committed to ensuring you have the tools to stay connected with your friends and fellow supporters. Take a moment to connect with your mates. A simple text or an open conversation can make a world of difference. And if they don't respond right away, don't hesitate to follow up. Let's all take a moment to talk more than football. If a week is a long time in politics, then it must be an absolute lifetime in football. This is the Known and Never podcast. Hello and welcome to a very special double edition of the No Name Never podcast where we are riding high with euphoria after a fantastic victory at Old Trafford. We're recording this on Thursday night um, when we're all just about coming down out of the clouds after um, a brilliant three points away at Manchester United. And of course, it's not just the United game that we've got to be happy about. We've also got the small matter of back-to-back victories against top six sides with a brilliant home win at home, a home win at home. I don't know where else a home win would be. Um, A home win against Leicester on Saturday. Um, Absolutely fantastic week for Burnley, um, as I alluded to in my opening. Um, They do say, don't they, that a week's a long time in football, but my goodness, what a week it's been in terms of football and Burnley Football Club in particular. Um, Joining me this evening are regular panellists, Tom Whitaker and George Poole, um, both of whom are obviously dying to get delved in here and start dissecting these to bits. Um, So we're going to start, well, where else are we going to start? We're going to go backwards and we're going to start at Old Trafford because... Why wouldn't we? We'll look at Leicester again in the second half of the show. But I think at the moment, everybody just wants to talk about that fantastic win. Um, Tom, I'm going to come to you first. You were at Old Trafford last night. Um, It must have been some atmosphere in that ground. We could hear you. We could hear you singing from start to finish. Yeah, it was really special, Uh, especially after the last couple of years when we've been so close and not just quite made it. there was a real belief, I think, in uh, in the crowd before the game that we could get something. Um, we deserved, probably deserved to be 2-0 up at the point that we were. I think United were quite toothless. Um, and the last half an hour, I mean, my nerves were shredded after what had happened in the last couple of seasons. But United never really looked like scoring. It never looked in doubt. Um, and it just meant that the closer we got to full time, the more and more the belief grew, the atmosphere, the chanting. And yeah, it's just an absolutely brilliant night, brilliant night. 
Yeah, and I, I bet it was um, a very special night for one young lad in particular. We believe uh, you had a special guest with you at Old Trafford last night, Tom. Tell us all about that. Yeah, well, there's a chap on Twitter, you've probably seen him. Uh, his name on there is just Burnley Japan, uh, a Japanese Burnley fan. I'm not quite sure how that happens. I'm not sure how we've got a fan in Japan, but we, we do. Uh, and he, he put on Twitter a couple of months ago that he was thinking of coming over for the Man United and Arsenal games. And he was wanting to know if, if he could get a ticket. And uh, I had a, a spare couple of season tickets last night. So I, I DM'd him and said, yeah, you know, no problem. When, when they come out, I'll get you a ticket. And obviously, because I got it with, with one of my spare season tickets, I ended up being sat with him. So I met up with him outside the ground. I think he'd gone around and had a look around and that before. Um, went on the game with him. Uh, and he was a good luck charm. Uh, and I was so pleased that he's come all that way just to watch us. Uh, I'm so pleased that he got to see such a fantastic night. Uh, and he, <laughs> he really enjoyed himself. Perhaps enjoyed it a bit less with me swearing, jumping up and down nervously every two minutes. But... Uh, <laughs> no, I think it's such a great game to, to be there. And you should imagine that being your first game. Fantastic. I was absolutely made up for it. Yeah, I bet you were. I mean, I, the, the, the troubles at Old Trafford are well documented at the moment. And I think we've all been trying to drown out the the dominating news cycles today with it all about being the problems at United rather than a fantastic result for Burnley. But even if they're having a bad time, it's still Old Trafford. It's still Manchester United, one of the, if not the biggest football brands in the world. And to go there and, like you said, Tom, not just win, but comfortably win as well. Um, it's going to have been an experience for him because he's going to have got to have gone around and um, and seen that fantastic stadium. And just to see that atmosphere and see that win, he's never going to forget that. And it's a pretty decent thing you did there, Tom. And I'm really pleased that he managed to, to, to do it. I think we've got another fan as well. Is it Claret in China as well? Um, so I think we're starting to spread our wings a little bit from East Lancashire all the way <laughs> across the globe with Burnley fans. And you know, there's there's a lot of negative talk about what the Premier League's done and the TV rights and everything that comes with um, being on the biggest stage. But you know what? A young lad from Japan came all the way to England last night and saw his first football game and he chose to come and watch Burnley. And I just, I, that's just got to be a fantastic thing. Um, George, moving on to you a little bit, um, Tom alluded to the previous two campaigns that we've had at Old Trafford where we've thrown away a two-goal lead and ended up drawing the game. Um, I've been asked this question quite a lot today on various Q&As and, and various interviews that, that, that we've done. Um, the question being, what was different last night? What what did Burnley do to make sure they didn't throw that game away? Um, from my perspective, it's very easy, I think, just to say that last night they, they showed resilience and strength and discipline to not give that game away. But I think that's doing a bit of disservice, really, to previous Sean Dyche sides because they've always had strength and resilience and discipline. But last night did feel different, didn't it? Can you put your finger on what you think it was that allowed us to see that game out quite comfortably in the end? Yeah, it definitely felt totally different to the last two seasons there. I think it's probably a combination of the experience that we've got from the last two times and then just the troubles at United. Because I know the, the last couple of years haven't been amazing spells for United anyway, but when they've got that goal back or they have been 2-0 down, the crowd's been right behind them and you stood there in the away end and you can feel a goal coming, the crowd's getting behind them, they're throwing men forward. Last night there was none of that, absolutely none of it. The crowd was 
streaming out after 70 minutes, it makes you wonder, actually, like, fans watching from abroad, are they they're watching that and seeing this United team and the fans leaving, booing, whereas Burnley absolutely on fire. Are they going to start supporting Burnley instead in the future? But it was definitely a more composed performance. And in the post-match interview, I thought Chris Wood was quite interesting. He said something about, like, we've been, we've been here the last two seasons and we've basically messed it up both times. And I think it's definitely that experience has helped. They, they kept calm last, last night. They were so solid defensively. I, I can't remember a time when I thought United were actually going to score. Yeah, so it's a combination of United not being the club they even used to be in the past two seasons, but also the experience that Burnley used to just keep their heads on and just keep working for the full 90 this time. Yeah, definitely. And I think as well, um, their attitude will have been massively buoyed by that result against Leicester as well. I think some of the things that we were saying, particularly after the Villa game and the Chelsea game as well, is it just felt like it was a side that had got down on itself a little bit in self-belief and confidence. They seemed to be a shadow of, of that fighting side that we all know and love. And I saw that last night as well. And like you say, you're very you're very right, Tom. Chris Wood was saying this in his, in his interview. He, he, they didn't feel like they were going to allow this, um, what's it called, happy feeling and this positivity that they generated after that last Leicester result go. Um, Tom, George talked there about the defensive unit and how strong they were last night. Um, two particular mentions for me before we go on to, to I guess, the defence as a whole. Number one, welcome back, Ben Me. Um, I don't know where you've been for, for a while this season, but your absence has been very much felt and we're very glad you're back. And number two, my God, Charlie Taylor, discuss. Yeah, he just goes from strength to strength, doesn't he? He was man of the match for me last night. He was best player on the pitch by a mile. Um, showed Williams and Wan-Bissaka how to play that attacking full-back role while maintaining the defensive duties at the same time. Some of the tackles that you put in that one on Martial in the first half, that's as good as a goal, that. And I've seen all the uh, pundits that I've seen speaking about it have said, oh, Martial didn't get it out of his feet quick enough. Well, I mean, he's got time for one or two touches there and then Taylor slides in and doesn't just get the ball. He plays it off him for the goal kick as well. Absolutely fantastic. And he was so good defensively, offensively. He knew when to come out and he went to step up. He knew when to press and he went to drop off. Brilliant. And you're right about Ben Mee as well. I think even the Leicester game, obviously, he, he struggled uh, against Barnes. Probably helped him a little bit that we were set up a bit more defensively. He didn't have the chance for Marshall or anybody to get around the back of him. Didn't get, have a chance to get done for pace. But him and Tarkovsky, every ball in the box, they were winning. Right position, won every duel. Uh, and he's got an assist as well, which doesn't happen very often for a centre-half. So, yeah, fantastic <laughs> for them too. And I think uh, another another defender that's probably worthy of an individual mention was Matt Lowton. Um, really been out of form. I've seen a lot of people, when the team sheet was announced, the Barzil wasn't in, were thinking, oh, oh no, <laughs> Lowton's back. But... Um, Obviously, that as you were saying before, the um, there's a lot kind of the, the feel around the team, the confidence seems to be back, and Lowton seems to have it back as well. Thought he was excellent. Uh, really good to see him back to his best form. Yeah, definitely. I'm glad you you mentioned Matt Lawton. Regular listeners will know full well that I am I'm a big Lawton fan, and I've been quite sad to see him drop out of form and out of the first team. Um, I had a feeling last night that he was going to pull it up. Really, I don't know why. I just 
I just maybe I was just brimming with confidence for the whole game in its entirety. Um, Charlie Taylor, of course, we'll, we'll go on to talk about this later on. Not just the, that tackle at United, but of course that header um, in the middle, well, towards the end of the Leicester game, um, that was probably a, a, a game winner for us. If you all remember, I think he'd they, they, they broke away from our corner or maybe a free kick, free kick towards um, our box, their box. Sorry, very very quickly, and he just did this incredible header that just killed that that momentum and killed the chance so um I don't think it's particularly hyperbole to say that we've seen a lot of talk on on Twitter that Charlie Taylor could very well fight himself into the England squad if he's not careful so um yeah massive massive thumbs up for, for Charlie Taylor was also my man of the match as well albeit I think he could have given it to any one of those defenders um George the other well, one of two other men, men of the moment at the moment. Uh, we'll start with with our resident Kiwi, young Mr Woody. Um, that's double, double goal, double figure goals for him for the third season running now. Took his tally to 10 um, over these two games. Um, the, the Leicester goal obviously was, was a really good um, spontaneous goal. But that one last night, I'm not entirely sure it's got the technical plaudits that it's deserved really. Of course, the, the Ben Mee flick on with the assist, but... He does pretty well to flick that into the back of the net, doesn't he? Yeah, he's turning into a, a brilliant striker for us. And our, our attack relies a lot on him. To, to say he's got 10 goals now, we've got 15 games left in the season. He can quite feasibly go on and get 15 plus goals this Premier League season, which for a team that's, you know, bottom half, maybe fighting for top 10, to have one of them strikers in your club, it's absolutely massive. And he, he's proven his 15 million price tag so much. So be the third year running, he's got 10 plus goals in the league for us. And he was just so good last night. And I'm not in any place to talk really about the technique, but the United had a warning, a warning sign about 10, 10, 15 minutes before the goal when me and Wood linked up as well and Wood just turned the header wide. And you could see, I mean, you can see from the past six months that our set pieces are absolutely unbelievable, but you could see it coming in the game last night. And he's just, he's a constant threat. He works so hard for the team. And you just, you know, he's just a brilliant guy to have around the dressing room. He seems like a lad who's got his head screwed on so much. And I can see him being our Premier League best, like, best striker for years to come. And I think once he does finally leave Burnley, hopefully no time soon, his goal record will be absolutely brilliant. It's all, it's around one every three games, creeping towards one in two at the moment. If he carries on like this, he can get player of the season for me. Yeah, I think he's probably in with a decent shout for that, to be honest. I mean, it's been... I always struggle with player of the season because one of the, the benefits of this Burnley side is there's never really a standout star, is there? Every now and again, you get one. Um, but I think most of the time, there's a good number of, of three or four different players who could, could get player of the year. But yeah, you're right. Woody can definitely... Um, I lay a claim for that. Tom, sticking with the strike force and looking at the other man at the moment is, of course, our absolute beauty that is young Jay Rodriguez, who has got everybody purring this morning with that ridiculous goal at Old Trafford. Um, quite, um, I guess, nastily, not nastily, but quite obnoxiously from United fans, they were all talking about it being the goal of his career and he'll never score one as good as that before. I would argue that he scored lots like that and he will again. Um, 
winding this back a little bit, I think we were all a little bit concerned when the news came through that Ashley Barnes um, had finally succumbed to this groin injury and he needed a hernia operation and was going to be going to be out for four or five weeks. Um, over the last two games, I've seen a real turn in the development of Barnes and Jay's strike force partnership. They're starting to read each other a lot better and they're starting to play off each other a lot more. Um, to the point where I would suggest that these results have been a big, a big fact. Sorry, Jay's inclusion has been a big factor in these two results this week. And I think Barnes is going to struggle to get back into the side if this continues. Yeah, absolutely. I think there's two main reasons why we've looked better with Rodriguez in the team. I think the first one is obviously Barnes wasn't fit. Uh, he wasn't playing well. Um, to, to an extent, it was like playing with 10 men because we didn't have him at full capability. So just the fact that we've got a body up there is a bit more mobile and a bit more able to get stuck in is a massive difference. Uh, I think the other thing is that I think you can see that it's really impacted the style of play. Um, Rodriguez is much better with his ball to, with the ball to his feet. He's much better at running the channels. I think he's technically better than Barnes or Wood. So it gives us a different dimension. It means we can play out from midfield a bit easier. Um, I think the goal that he scored yesterday, you've, you've seen Barnes do that swing your leg at it and, and catch it just right and, and 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 do that some big grounds as well. So I'm not saying it's impossible that we could have scored a goal like that with Barnes in the team. But I think Rodriguez is a more reliable source for that kind of goal. Um, and I don't think it's a coincidence that since he's been playing up front and starting up front, we've started to look better. We've started to have more of a goal threat. I think even in the games prior, you know, the Villa game when we brought Rodriguez on at half-time, we looked like a different team. Uh, and I think you're absolutely right. I think if he keeps doing what he's doing, then it's going to be impossible for Barnes to get back in the team because we look a lot better, uh, a lot better with Rodriguez there at the minute. Yeah, I'd certainly agree with you, Tom. There, with um, I think J Rod and Wood might be the partnership for us going forward now. And I, I do think the Barnes, the Barnes injury, like towards the back end where he's going to have, he's had to have surgery now. It could be a blessing in disguise for us, really, because Barnes hasn't been at his best for months now, and. The, the the rumors I've heard coming out is that he's playing more. He played most games on painkillers. He was really struggling with the injury, which and obviously they've seen a specialist now and got it sorted. So hopefully that wasn't the, the bad performances by Barnes in the up to Christmas. Hopefully it's not a sign of like he's not really cut out for this level anymore or anything silly like that. It's just that he had a bad injury and this is going to allow Jerod now to come into the team and really uh, stake a claim for a start a starting spot. Every game once once Barnes is back because I think you saw early on in the season that Gerard they hadn't really got the link up with Wood or Barnes yet because obviously he's only joined in the summer but he seems to have really found his feet and it was it was a strange one I know you mentioned like the Villa game Tom where Gerard didn't play the next game or whatever afterwards and Barnes came back in but I think definitely Gerard just offers a touch of just technical ability that Wood and Barnes don't have. And he links up our play going forward so well, and I think it makes a more attractive club. Like we play more attractive football with J Rod in the team because he drops back, links up play, and he's just got that real touch of class about him. I'm buzzing to have him starting, and hopefully, long may this good run continue with him. Yeah, you're absolutely right there, there, George, and I think nobody wants Ashley to have to have been playing through pain and playing on painkillers and things like that. And I think we were all getting to the point where I think everybody realised that he was just so under par because he was carrying this ridiculous injury. And 
one of the problems that we have in, in operating such a small squad is that some of our players have to make this unnecessary risk um, and some of our players do have to play, play through pain because we just haven't got the cover. But with Jay coming through now and really taking this opportunity to try and forge that relationship with with Woody. Um, we don't need to rush Barnes back. But then what that then does mean is that we do actually genuinely then have options to change a game. We have got Wooden Barnes if we want to play them up front together as two strongmen. We can start with Jay and, and Wood if we want to. Barnes coming off the bench. I've always liked Barnes coming off the bench. I think he's he's been a really good impact player over the season. So I'd, I think I think that's a good option as well. And, and the more competition that we can have for places, I think the better. Um, I think at the moment, the only real position where we've had any sort of competition has been at right back. And um, with Deitch showing his... Um, ruthless edge, which just comes out every now and again, in being quite quick in dropping both Bardsley and Lawton when they've not been performing, I think it's actually had a positive impact on them. Um, I think Bardsley's been playing really well recently, and I think that's why, because I think he knew it was his position to keep. And Lawton came in last night and really put a shift in, and I think what Tom was saying about how well he played, I think fighting for that spot with Bardsley has got to play an impact there. So if we've now got that same level of competition in the strike force, that could only be a good thing for the side. Um, Tom, going back to you then, um, that result last night puts us on 30 points for the season. Um, literally just two, two, well, two games ago, one week ago, we were coming back off that Villa result and that Chelsea result. Um, Things are looking pretty rosy now, and I think, dare we say it, we've had our blip for this mission, and we are now probably going to push forward for the rest of the season and try and finish strongly. Do, can we start to get up to the 50-point mark this season, bearing in mind we've got to 30 by the 23rd of January? That's my goal for this side. I want us to stop thinking like a 40-point-a-season a team um, because I think you inevitably take your feet off the gas, your foot off the gas, sorry, when you get there. Um, I want to see us pushing on and I want to see us trying to get to 50 points. Is this the emotion of Old Trafford that it's just talking or do you think now we can really kick on this season? Yeah, yeah. Uh... If I'm honest, I think it's one of them seasons where you put two or three wins together and you fly up the table and, and you're very confident. But if you lose a couple, you start sinking towards the relegation zone and uh, and you start to get nervous again because the table is so packed. I mean, I think we're seven points above the relegation zone and, and we're four or five points off fifth now, uh, which is daft really. But I think where we'll finish is about where we are now. I think we're too good. Uh, famous last words I think we're too good to go down I think we've got a bit more about us than some of the other teams I think the fact we've pulled these two wins out of the bag this week shows that um, but similarly I think if you look at the, the teams who are above us the teams that you could expect to be pushing for the, the European places I think Wolves Arsenal um, even Man United even though obviously last night we, we, we've beaten them quite comfortably I still think squad wise they've got a bit more about them than us. I think they've got um, a bit more depth than us. Um, the other thing uh, to remember is the way we've finished seasons in the past. It seems to be that once we get over the 40-point mark and we're pretty sure that we're safe, we're one of these teams. Pulis, his uh, West Brom team used to be like that. It's probably one or two others as well that you can think of. We take a fourth the gas a little bit. Um, so I should think that if we do get to 40, 42 points in, say, March, April, I wouldn't have thought we'll be 
busting a gut to try and get to 50, the 50 point mark. So I think, yeah, I think probably about 13th, 14th. I, I imagine that's where we'll finish. And uh, that's it's not a bad finish. I'll be happy with that. Yeah, me too, to be honest. I mean, it, it, I'm only thinking long term in terms of trying to keep that focus. Uh, we're going to go on to talk about the Leicester side in a minute. But um, a lot of people have, have talked about how Leicester have lost their sparkle recently. No, not sparkle, their swagger. <laughs> Leicester are not unicorns. Um, they've lost their, their, their bit of that swagger that they had in the early start of the season. And when I was watching that game at Turf, particularly Leicester's second half performance, do you know what I think one of the problems is with Leicester? Is I think they're bored. I think there is a boredom and a staleness. I've been using this word staleness because we've struggled from this season. But I genuinely think there's a little bit of a boredom creeping into the Premier League at the moment, um, purely because it's just so dominated by by Liverpool. Nobody can win the league apart from Liverpool. City, without their injuries, are are pretty much just right behind them. And then everybody else, and and people are going through the same routines all season. So Leicester know that they're going to finish in the top four. Um, they're going to probably get Champions League next season. They're not going to win the league. So what incentive have they got for the rest of the season to keep going? And, and they looked like they were bored when they were playing us. So I think for me, that's that's where I was looking at with just giving the players something to aim towards. Because if you psychologically start thinking that you are a 50-point-a-season team, then you start playing that way. Um and the reason why I, I, I link this is to, to move away from the Manchester United game as much as I could talk about it all night and start looking back at the Leicester game because despite this being a fantastic week, the, the week didn't really start, I don't think, until probably halfway through that Leicester game. Um, I thought we started more brightly um, than we did certainly against the Villa and Chelsea sides, but we were still a little bit out of sorts in that first half of that season. And again, there was just that self-belief that was lacking there and we had a few um errors Jack Cork got caught in possession albeit we'll we'll talk about that tackle as um as whether it was a foul or not the defense didn't really do much for for Barnes's first goal um and then of course Ben Mee completely wrong side of his defender uh, his attacker and and conceded the penalty and it, it was that moment that penalty save that I feel for me is a defining moment of the season um George were you did you feel a difference in that first half against Leicester or did, were you still starting to worry about the hangover from the... I guess I guess where I'm coming from is is that at what point during that Leicester game did you start to see the transition to the team that's finished this week to the one that started it? Do you think it was the penalty or do you think it was earlier than that? To be honest with you, I don't think... I, I, don't, I didn't think from the game that we were really too out of sorts in the first half. I, I thought we'd started pretty brightly and then they got the goal... And it's just a, a kick in the teeth, really. But I thought they dealt with it pretty maturely. To just, it could have been easy then, from the run we've been on, to just crumble. Leicester go on and get a second, a third, and you know we're we're really looking down the barrel of the gun there. So I think we did well to keep it at you know one nil and just carried on playing our game. But I think the the moment for me was just after we got the equaliser was then to go and push for a winner. We weren't just we weren't just sitting back. And I text, I texted my mates when we went one 0 down. I was like, well, "That's it. Once we go one 0 down, we never win." And I think the fact that after scoring the equaliser, we were so positive and had so much intent to go after Leicester and try and get a second goal and a winner, it just showed the mentality of the side that they thought, "No, we can come back against this team, which we've had an incredible season, but we can turn them over here." And I think it just showed the confidence was flowing back into the team. We're a real confidence 
team, when we're lacking in it, like the run we've been on, you know, it can get dire at times. And I think that plays into half of the reason why we've been playing such bad football, just because the confidence is so low that they're scared to put a foot on it. But it was like the shackles had been released in that second half against Leicester. People were wanting the ball, shouting for it. They weren't they weren't scared of having it in case they make a mistake. And the intent to go and look for that winner, it just showed a real turnaround for me. And I think the confidence is flowing back into this team in that second half. And it's like it's like they've remembered that they can play football again. They've remembered they're a good team and they can be a top ten team if they if they play well against teams. So I, I think just the confidence is the main bit but definitely coming with that intent to try and find a winner after the equaliser. Yeah, definitely. Do you know what I what triggered it for me, Tom, talking about this remembrance that they knew that they were a good footballing sign and they could play? Um, I agree with George. I thought there was a much better spark in, in that first half against Leicester, albeit it wasn't quite there yet. But I think there was a moment in the game where they changed their style of play and remembered that Jay was on the pitch and not, Bonds. I felt in the early stages of that Leicester game, we were not adapting our play. We were still bypassing midfield and hoofing it long ball from defence up front as if Wood and Barnes were playing. Um, and it just wasn't working. It was kind of marking Jay out of the game a little bit, Tom, don't you think? And I think once they realised that they had the ability to play to Jay's feet, that made a massive difference. Yeah, we spoke about it already. I think he's... He's, uh, like I say, he's a better footballer than Barnes, I think. Uh, he's more capable of dropping deep, linking the play. Um, and I th- yeah, I think you're right. I think uh, the fact that he was up there instead of Barnes, it did make a difference to our style. Um, last season, obviously, the turnaround was was putting McNeil in there and having a bit more of a creative outlet. But I think McNeil's been quite quiet the last few weeks. I don't know if he's um, a little bit out of form or maybe a little bit tired. But, uh, yeah, I think the, the, the big difference in, in the Leicester game was... Uh, was definitely Rodriguez and from a tactical perspective. Although I have to say, when you said about um, the moment where the big turnaround was, I thought you were going to mention the uh, the penalty save. Maybe maybe we'll come on to that. Yeah, well, let's do it now. I think I did mention it a little bit earlier on in that that was most definitely a defining moment. Um, they talk about defining moments in games, but that may very well, Tom, be our defining moment of the season, wasn't it? Um, I think it was a penalty. I think Ben Mee, just clumsy. Um I, when I first watched it on the ground, I thought it was quite a weak penalty, but when I've seen it over and over again, but Vardy actually strikes it really, really well. And I'm not entirely sure Nick Pope's got the credit he deserves for actually that. A really good save. Yeah, it really was. I think uh, he did telegraph it a little bit, Vardy. I think he knew where he was going to put it, but you've still got to get across and, and keep it out. Um, it wasn't one where he could just catch it. He had to get a strong hand on it and obviously just managed to get it far enough away from the goal that the guy in the follow-up couldn't quite squeeze it in the corner either. Um, so yeah, massive save. I think that was really the turning point in the game. I think obviously we got the equaliser prior to that, but I think there was that kind of feeling you get sometimes where you think, oh, hang on, this might be our day now. Uh, I think that that made a massive difference to the atmosphere. And then uh, obviously we, we've gone on and won from there. Uh, I think that that's given everybody a, a real boost, a real bit of belief. And I think you're right. I think we might look back and say not only was it the turning point in that game, it probably was a turning point for the season as well because. You know, it's crazy how how much difference six points and uh, and one week can make in this division. What, what, what are you looking at last week yeah. to where we are now? 
chalk and cheese. Yeah, definitely. And especially, I think, in this season as well, Tom. Um, I, I mentioned this before when we were, we were before we came on air, um, as well as mentioned it on this podcast. I think you absolutely are going to need 40 points this season just because it's just so compact. And I think one of the concerns I had earlier on in the season was that we might have ended up getting pulled into a relegation scrap because there were too many of the bottom half teams who were just binking ridiculously uh, fluky results against top six. So normally you expect your top six sides to win most of their home and away games and take all the points off the lower sides. And then it becomes a scrap against um, those, you know, the results against each other, against your your peers, for for want of a better word, in that league. Um, And that's why I think over the past few years, you've not needed 40 points. It's been more like 37, 36 points. I think I I looked at the um, stats from the Premier League a couple of weeks ago because my other half, Mr B, was absolutely convinced that it was absolutely like 10 years plus since you needed 40 points to survive. I I think he's right. I'll I'll check this with Statman Dave when we do the preview show. But I think it's been about nine seasons since you needed 40 points to survive. And that's just because of the dominance of the top six. Well, that dominance has gone now. You know, you've got City and you've got Liverpool who are miles ahead of everybody else. But as we saw last night and we've seen uh, other games, your Chelsea's, United's, your Arsenal's, they're bang average um, Premier League sides and there's not that much in them anymore. So we're definitely going to need 40 points. Um, what I was just going to pick up on there, just to follow that on, Tom, in fact, actually, let's go to you, George. Um, Tom mentioned there, obviously, about that save from Nick Pope. And there's a lot of people talking about Nick Pope possibly displacing Jordan Pickford as England's number one by the time we get to the Euros. Um, Some fans have been a little bit concerned about his early season form. Um, um, I think he probably could have done better for Barnes' first goal at the weekend. uh, Last weekend, sorry. But... I think from that penalty save onwards, because of course it wasn't just a penalty save, he, he pulled out a fantastic stop as well from the top corner with it, palmed it away with his hands. How are you feeling about Nick Pope's um, performances generally and I guess his current form? I, 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 it's quite funny because I remember on Saturday we were, after Barnes's first goal, I, I think we were putting in a non-air never chat like, like Pope's looking a bit, a bit dodgy recently. But I, to be honest, I think we're guilty of having too high expectations and we, we think goalkeepers are, are literally like watching video games where they can't make mistakes, whereas the other 10 players on the pitch can make, you know, two, three, four mistakes a game and then could still be deemed as having a good game. And I, I especially, especially for Nick Pope, like we, we forget he's, he's six foot seven, which which makes him so good for getting the ball from corners and everything. But getting down to shots that are at his feet, he does well to keep most of them out. So I think we have definitely lofty expectations and sometimes I need to just temper them down a bit. Like with that Barnes one at the weekend, it's one of them where he's tried to get his foot to, to stop it, but you're going to stop half of them, you, the other half are going to go in. I think, uh, to be honest, I think he's having a really good season. There is a couple, like I think the Zaha one earlier in the season where he's beaten its front post. So he's not been absolutely perfect, um, but he's made some massive saves and especially at the weekend against Leicester, there was a, a couple of fine saves away from the penalty. I'm thinking the one just, I think it was just after half time where they got it in, inside the box and he's, he's saved it down low to his right. And if they score that, it's 2 0 and it's, it's game over then. It's such a massive save. As for England, I, I can't see him starting in the Euros just because Southgate's got his settled side and Pickford's impressed for England, to be fair to him. 
it'd be a big call to drop him now and start Pope. So I just don't see it happening. But in my heart, I think Pope should be starting for England. He's having a fine season and hopefully he can be our number one for years to come. Also a word on impressive that uh, the Jensen kid for the under 23s, really impressive. So one to keep an eye on in the goalkeeping department. Excellent. Young George being our roving reporter of all things junior class. Actually, have you guys seen the news today? I haven't seen this, but Turf Moore's been selected for one of the uh, under-23s, is it under-21s? The Young Lions um, qualifications against Turkey um, for, the, for their... Oh, do you know what? I'm giving you half a, half a bit of information here. Just bear with me one second. Let me actually get this right. Uh, England under-21 Euro qualifiers. So it's on Monday the 30th of March. Um, yeah, we're hosting the Turkey game. Um, Dwight McNeil clearly going to be a central focus there. But um, Daesh has come out today, Tom and... and, and uh, sorry, Tom, George, and said quite clearly that this is a, a massive step for Burnley and that um, we should be really proud that we've been selected. And I, th- I think you've got to be really chuffed with that. Yeah, it's brilliant. I, one of, like, away from just going to like, Burnley games, one of my favourite memories in the past... A uh, few years was the 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 first time they they had the under twenty one game in I think it was twenty fourteen. I put something on Twitter about it today where it was England versus Portugal and it, uh, Danny Ings scored a brace in that game while he was still at us. It, it felt like such a massive moment for the club at the time to not only have a, an England an England game being played there, albeit under twenty ones, but then also have one of our players performing so well. And it it was it was a nice change because they had obviously the England Supporters Club at Turf with the drum and everything, all the torch lights in the stands and everything. It was just a nice change from going to just a standard league match. And if if I wasn't a uni, I'd be looking forward to going to this game because I think hopefully Dwight will be giving a full run out and be able to impress on home turf. Yeah, definitely. And, and Tom, certainly with the investment that we've made in the facilities and, and, the, and, the, and the ground itself, we should be pushing forward to host more of these, shouldn't we? I was I was kind of disappointed that we've not been selected for any of the Lionesses games when the Euros come here as well next year. Yeah, it's nice when they take it around the country, isn't it? And it, it's um, probably like a, a good capacity as well, I'd say, for the women's internationals, especially if it's um, not an England game that they're hosting, you know, the group games and that kind of thing. It would, it would seem to make sense. I suppose maybe the transport links and things like that might be a consideration as well for in terms of major tournaments. But I think they've they've spoken about taking the England games a bit more around the country now, and they're not always just having them at Wembley. And yeah, it's it's, it's better for everyone when they do that, definitely. Um, excellent, right? But just a very quick word before we go because this uh, this got everybody really. Oh, actually, a couple of um, technical points because these both got people wound up, and we're not going to dwell on these because we don't care because we won. But I'm going to put one to each of you. Um, a couple of of ridiculous decisions that we didn't get in our favour over the weekend. George, I will start with you in that Leicester game. Um, the foul on Jack Cork in the build up to the Leicester goal. Um, it looked on the ground that he'd been displaced again and we've been done by another individual error. But the replay is clearly, clearly sure that he was fouled and I'm not really sure how VAR didn't give that. It's a weird one, isn't it? It was so... It, I don't, I'm second-guessing myself on this one because to me it looks so obvious that he's not touched the ball and he's taken down court. But then I've seen like the other day, uh, the other day on Twitter, Darren Bentley's still adamant that he thinks it, it, it wasn't a foul and he's seen it back. So it's making me second-guess myself. But from what I can see... He's not t- taking the ball at all, and he- he's taking the man out, and it's directly in the lead up to the goal. You'd have thought that VAR would have pulled that up. It- it's a real strange one for me, definitely. 
Excellent. And then, Tom, the last one to you. Um, last night, a handball situation. I don't even know what constitutes a handball anymore. Um, forgive me, my brain's gone as to which player it was, but there was... Um, a handball, it should have been a penalty when we were trying to score. It was still nil-nil. He fell and landed on the ball and blatantly pulled it away from, from Jay Rodriguez's legs. Um, the commentators justified VAR's decision to not give a penalty on the grounds that he fell on it, so there's not a lot he could do about it. Well, I was under the impression that the new handball rule meant that it didn't matter whether there was nothing you could do about it. You still got it. Um, handball for me, was it for you? I think it highlights the absurdity of the handball rule as it is, really, because uh, my understanding is if you're an attacker, it doesn't matter whether or not it's intentional. If you handle the ball, it's handball. But if you're a defender, then the intention still matters. Um, and I think if you're going by that strict interpretation, I haven't seen it back, I only seen it at the time, and it was down the other end from the away end, but uh, it looked to me like he fell over, and I don't think he was deliberately trying to gain an advantage from using his hands. I mean, John Moss isn't going to give us a penalty at Old Trafford. Whatever happens, is he? But uh, I think if it had been the other way around, I would have thought it was a bit harsh if it had been a penalty given. Um, but yeah, as I say, I think the handball rule needs to be clarified, by the way. God damn you, Tom, and your voice of reason. <laughs> One day I want you to just let your emotions get the better of you and stop being sensible and be like, yeah, it was a penalty. Yeah, it was a handball. Yeah, it was a foul. Um, you don't think it was a foul on Jack Cork, Tom? No, for me, I thought uh, Court was dawdling. I think he got a bit of the man, but I think he got the ball as well. I think I'd have been gnashing if we'd have won that ball in midfield like that and, and the ref had pulled it back for a free kick. So maybe that's just because we won. But uh, I think that would have been a very harsh free kick person. Mm, okay. Um, before we just move on very, very quickly, I'm going to bring George back in because we've got some we've got some show notes chat going on. And George is pleading to come back in just to wax lyrical about J Rod's passion last night. So I'm going to let I'm going to let George have the final word on the performances from Leicester and Manchester United this week. Over to you, Georgie boy. Honestly, it was so good last night. Maybe it was all the pints I'd in, I'd in me, but it was so fun watching J Rodriguez play last night. He was just. From 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 minute one, chasing down his man, uh, chasing down the defenders, make, putting them under pressure, and then you saw when he scored that goal, and then again at full time, just how much it means to him. It's it's so good to have to have him firstly back at the club, secondly playing so well, and just it, you can tell it means everything to him. Scoring that goal away at Manchester United to win in the Premier League for Burnley. I mean, just imagine if that was you. I, I can't even imagine it. You, you, you must, you'd, you'd love it so much, and you can tell his passion just comes bursting out of the screen. And it's just so good to have him back at the club. Long may it continue. Yeah, amen to that. Right, let's move on to before we finish up a very quick um, look at the weekend's game. Um, I've got a very quick update on you again. In said show notes, me and George have been debating <laughs> on mute this um, stat about forty points, and George claimed that teams have gone. Uh, no one has ever gone down on thirty nine points. I don't think, and I have some stats here to disprove that. So. Um, there's a basically this forty point rule has just become a bit of a benchmark. However, um, <clears throat> the most re- it's not been 
There's only been four occasions in the Premier League that a team has needed 40 points or more to stay up. The most recent, recent example was 2011, when 18th place Birmingham City went down with 39 points and Midlands rivals Wolves stayed up with 40. So we have not needed 40 points since 2011, 2010-2011 um, season to stay up. Um, the last time a side went down with, um, with more than 40 points all the way back to 2003. Um, 18th place, West Ham got relegated with 42 points, which is insane. Um, I, I'm a big believer, I think, in, in this dominance of the top six sides. Um, <clears throat> um, I, I think that's probably what's brought that 40-point marker across. But, um, Tom, looking at this before we leave, given that we're probably going to need 40 points to survive, so we're on the 23rd of January and we've already got 30 points, my view is is that we can now relax and actually really go for it in the FA Cup now. I appreciated that the, the landscape looked very different by the time we were playing that third round game. We looked like we were struggling. Um, but I think I think now there's absolutely no reason why we can't go for it. I think Norwich will bring a week inside. I think they will not want to get humbled again at a side they've already lost quite comprehensively at this season. They've got a much tougher... Um, relegation battle than we do um, and I think this is a fantastic opportunity for us to really go for it keep that momentum going and try and get into the fifth round yeah I agree with you I think the last time we were in the fifth round we we're almost there by default um, because we had Bristol City at home in the fourth round Sunderland in the third round and I think there were two teams in a similar boat to us the cup wasn't their focus we were at home and probably we had a better reserve team than Sunderland reserves or Bristol City's reserves and I think we're in a similar spot now uh, I think Norwich won't be too bothered if they if they go through or not. I still don't think we'll be massively bothered, but I think with home advantage and the fact that we've probably got a better squad than Norwich, I think we're the favourites, definitely. And then it's just about what draw you get in the fifth round. Obviously, last time we were in the fifth round, we had a very kind draw and we still couldn't manage it. But I think it's got to be said, the quality of our reserves is better than it was in that season. And if we get a kind draw and the home draw, if we get a, you know, a lower league team away, uh, yeah, there's no reason that we can't have a run this year. If you get into the quarterfinals and if we're still sitting where we are in the league with a nice cushion on the bottom three, then hopefully, yeah, we would put a few more first teams in and we'd really go for it. I think the only thing that might get in the way a bit this season is the fifth round, I think, is a midweek game this year. Uh, I have no idea why that is. But I think if we're playing midweek and then we've got a Saturday game, then Dyche might be tempted to ring the changes. Um, so if we do get a tough draw in the fifth round, then that might hamper things a little bit. But fingers crossed it's another kind draw. And yeah, I'd love to see us get at least into the quarterfinals this season. Been a long, long time since we've done that. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I'm actually really looking forward to Saturday. I'm taking my dad um, and we're gonna we're gonna go. Actually we're having a we're having a, a day of fun. Um how's the best I think all of the Anoraks who are in the world I'd be like their new queen right now. I'm going to the airport in the morning to look at the Concorde hangar because I've never seen that Concorde at Manchester Airport. So I'm going on an hour's technical tour around the engine of Concorde. Then I'm leaving, hot-footing it down the M65 and going to watch Burnley versus Norwich in the fourth round of the FA Cup. That's like, that stuff dreams are made of. Um, George, do you share thoughts feelings on the FA Cup? Are you wanting us to go for it this season? Oh, it would be lovely, wouldn't it? Even 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 after all these years of watching a, a dice Burnley in the FA Cup where we've been absolutely awful, every time it comes to that Monday night cup draw, you still get you still get the buzz in your tummy wait, waiting for the cup draw. The magic's still there for me. Well, at least until we get City away at some point, which is definitely bound to happen. But if we can get past Norwich, then I think we're only two games from Wembley in the semi-finals. 
And to have a, I mean, I don't want to get ahead of myself, but just thinking about a, a trip to Wembley, it would put put the icing on a season if if we do end up staying up as well. We've definitely got a chance though, if especially we have in the home advantage. Like Tom says, I don't think we'll take it too seriously this Saturday, not going to lie, but I do think we'll have enough to squeeze past them, hopefully. I think we will take it seriously, you know. I think Deitch will really want to keep momentum after that um, fantastic couple of games. I really, I think he'll rest a couple of key players, uh, but let's be honest, with our injury list, there's not that many players. Uh, we can't change a full 11. Um, Tom, interestingly, you just said that about the fixtures. The fifth round is being played on Wednesday, the oh, I've lost it. Where's it gone? Wednesday the fifth, the fourth of March. Now we play on Saturday the seventh of March, which assuming we get past Norwich will then be Sunday. Spurs at home. Now I'm not being funny, but Spurs at home is is a buy, um, and especially as we got absolutely battered at down at the new Spurs ground. Um, I I don't think I think if Dyche has got a a favourable Wednesday FA Cup draw that we've got a realistic chance of getting through to the next round I don't think he'll be too concerned about resting players for Spurs at home if it was I don't know know, Villa or Norwich or you know one of the sides around us that we need to to win at home then yeah maybe that's true but um, I I don't think he'll I don't think he'll do that Um, George uh, final word from you I think you just wanted to have a quick mention of the Dyche Radio Lancashire interview didn't you just if, if our listeners haven't yet seen it yeah, I definitely highly recommend it to all the listeners. Uh, I checked it out today. So it's, if you go on Twitter and just find uh, BBC Radio Lancashire Sport, there's a link to it on there. And it's also on the, the BBC Sounds app. It, it's so good. It's so that, it's about an hour long with Dash. And it's basically talking all things not football. So you really you really get a, an idea of the man behind. Well, God, it's like I'm, it's like I'm being paid here. That, well, they call it the man behind the manager and that's exactly what they're showing. It was it was so good to listen to. I mean, I'm really into my music, and to, to hear stuff like Dice saying in the the 80s and 90s he'd come over the hills from Chesterfield and go to the Hacienda Club in Manchester. I mean, my my ears just lit up. I'm like seeing a whole new side of Dice. So I definitely recommend it. It's a brilliant listen. Excellent. Well, make sure you do, guys. While everybody's riding high in euphoria, and we're all a lot. Doesn't it feel nice, guys, to be able to record a podcast that's happy? I'm in such a good mood this week, and I've just. It's been so hard this season and it's, you know, we're all emotive fans and we love this club so much and it's such an extremity of emotions is being a football fan and I feel the lows when we get beat but I feel the amazing highs when we win. Um, With that in mind, I'm going to ask you both for a man of the week because I think they were two very different games and I don't want to give a man of the match for each one. So starting with, who's going to get the short straw? Tom, you're going to get a short straw. So when you get you go first. Who is your man of the week? Ooh, that's a good question. Um, I think I'm going to go for, just because of how big that save was. In fact, no, no, I was going to say Nick Pope, but actually I'm thinking about Chris Wood now. He scored in both games and uh, what George didn't mention when he was talking about Ward earlier, which I think is worth mentioning, is the fact that he's played the last two games with a broken nose oh, God, and he's still been sticking his head on everything. He's still been battling. He wouldn't have even known. So, yeah, for me, I'll say Chris Wood. Excellent. OK, Georgie boy, who's your man of the week? I'm going to cheat the question a bit here. My my man of the week no, is Sean Dyche. No, you're not. My you're not man cheating. of the week is Sean Dyche. Just after, especially after no! Especially after I gave him my backing on the podcast last week, because obviously that's also important for Sean Dyche if George pulls his <laughs> That he's come through and we've turned it round this week. 
I've not seen any. I've not seen anybody die out in the past week, and God, does it feel good to have have that gone for now? He's he's come up trumps, and he's proved me right. Go on, Dash. Right. Fine, you can have that you cheeky little snapper. Um, I knew you were going to be trouble if we brought you onto this panel, George Poole. <laughs> Um, who's my man of the week? My man of the week is going to be an absolute new shining light in our defence and a guy who made two pivotable, pivotable, I'm making up words now, that's not a word, pivotal um, saves in both games, um, which probably turned both of those games, that's maybe Charlie Taylor, for his fantastic header on that centre line of the Leicester game and that ridiculous block um, away at Old Trafford last night. Um, So I'm going to pick Charlie Taylor. So that's all we've got time for this week. Um, what a great podcast. I love it when we're all upbeat and we've got things to cheer about. Um, we're going to take this momentum into the Norwich game at the weekend. We're going to get through to the next round of the FA Cup and everything's going to be fine. And as Tom Ratley's just said, actually, uh, we're only four points behind Spurs, so you never know. We might be going into that Spurs game with uh, a fifth round of the FA Cup and... Um, uh, challenge for European space wouldn't that be nice um, my thanks as ever go to my fellow panellists George Poole and Tom Whitaker, both of whom who have given up their time for some fantastic analysis of the past week and some really great feedback so thank you both um, thanks producer Matt for knitting all of this together and producing whatever product you appear to be listening to right now um, <clears throat> my thanks to Banj Joyce for providing all of our music for the show but finally as ever you the listener for downloading and listening to this podcast podcast your support is very much appreciated and we would not be here without you the team will be back after the Norwich game um, to analyze the next phase of the FA Cup and Dave and I will be back a week on Friday to prepare for the Arsenal game Um, and if you've got any questions or any queries or anything you want to chat about you know the drill you know how to get in touch with us Um, let your voices be heard let's spread the love Um, I've been Natalie Bromley this has been the Known and Never podcast until next time TalkSport Fan Network is proudly teaming up with three for Mental Health Awareness Week this year. Beyond the pitch, beyond the results, we're here to connect fans, getting them to embrace the highs and lows of supporting your club because we're not just fans, we're a team. With two in three football fans having struggled with their mental health, we understand that life off the pitch can present its own challenges. That's why we're committed to ensuring you have the tools to stay connected with your friends and fellow supporters. Take a moment to connect with your mates. A simple text or an open conversation can make a world of difference. And if they don't respond right away, don't hesitate to follow up. Let's all take a moment to talk more than football. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximise your home ground advantage with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.